we have to talk. Clark, you should have tried picking up the phone occasionally. Might be quicker. Oh, but maybe not. What do you know about Lana? <laughs> Letting go. Never been one of your strong points, was it? Telling the truth was never one of yours. And you're accusing me of what exactly this time? Lana came to me the day of the wedding to tell me she wasn't going through with it, that she was leaving Lex. Apparently, she changed her mind. Or someone changed it for her. So, you think I had something to do with her decision? If Lena was so unhappy with Lex, why go through with the marriage? It's surprising, Clark, what people would do when they uh, feel they have no other options. If I find out that you had anything to do with Lena marrying Lex, the gloves will come off. How do you like that option? Somebody save me indeed. Hello and welcome to Farm to Fable, a Smallville rewatch fan cast. I am your forever host, Michael, and I'm also the host of the RPG Academy podcast, where I talk mostly about role-playing games, but all tabletop gaming in general. I also organize a three-day gaming convention held in Dayton, Ohio, each November. Before we get started, please be advised that Farm to Fable may include adult language and reference adult behavior. Please consider us PG-13 in regards to content acceptability for your young ones. Also, this is your spoiler warning. While we will focus on each episode week to week, our discussions may and likely will reference the entire series run and the wider Superman mythos. You can email our show at smallvillefancast at gmail.com with any comments, concerns, or questions. Please follow us on Twitter at Farm2Fable and join our Facebook group page at Smallville Farm to Fable. With all of that out of the way, let's meet today's co-host. Hey, it's Alan, uh, Big Al, Nicholas. It's been a while since I've been on the podcast, but we are back. And uh, I'm an attorney in the desert of Texas. And hopefully soon I'll be a judge in the desert of Texas. So we'll see how that goes. You would have my vote, sir, but I think that'd be illegal. <laughs> vote early and vote often. Isn't that what, the, what they say? <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you back. Uh, you've been a very busy man with lots of things going on, so you just haven't been able to be here. Though for a while, we had a little gimmick going where you were doing two episodes a season. So I think you still might have the most appearances of anyone. I'm not exactly sure, but, uh, but you were certainly missed. I'm happy to have you back. Those were fun, those two episodes, little bookends. It was nice. All right. So we're going to start today's episode with our Pass the Torch question. This one comes from producer Neil, and it is related to last week's episode of Noir, where for quite a while the show was in this sort of semi-fantasy 1940s era story. And we've also had like a 19, I guess, 50s or 60s. I don't exactly know which one when we, we were back with Jor-El uh, in Smallville. So Neil asks, if you could pick any decade to set a Smallville episode in, which would it be? And he kind of used the example of like a Western. Like if you could send it back to like the 1800s and do like a Western version of Smallville for an episode. Any thoughts on what decade or era you'd like to set a Smallville episode? I think it would be fun to do the Roaring Twenties. I think that would be kind of a oh. fun time period. Uh, Lana as a flapper. Yes, Lana as a flapper. First World War is over. There's this very strong sense of optimism and happiness in the world, and it hasn't gone to shit yet. So I think it would be kind of a fun, 
fun little decade to put it in. And also apologies for my language. Again, PG-13. So those are fun. So Neil mentioned Western specifically, and I hate to just steal his answer, but I do think that would be a really fun episode. And there's been a few ways, like uh, Psych did a a Western episode, but it it was like on a like a Western frontier land sort of thing. Uh, Supernatural has done some Western themed episodes. So I think there's some CW and and this type of show um, sort of similarities. I think they could get away with it. I also like the idea of like a sixties, like a free love hippy dippy episode. Mm. Like I could totally see Martha in maybe a pre Jonathan era being a little bit more of a flower girl or a flower child, I guess. But I also like the idea of maybe send it to the far future because we do have the episode season nine or 10, I think, where like the Legion uh, from like the 31st century come to Smallville. So maybe we could do a far future episode with some really terrible CGI. Uh, That would just be a fun but terrible episode. So I think Western would be my ultimate answer, but uh, there's a few others that would be fun too. I love that television CGI. It's it's not really a decade, but I think it would be fun to have a uh, musical. Is there a musical? Is there a Smallville musical? No, there's not. Oh, that would be fun. That, that's a big thing now. Lots of shows are doing a musical episode, but not Smallville. But yeah, that, that could be fun. All right. So with that out of the way, we're going to grab a copy of this week's Daily Planet, check the bylines, and see who brought us this episode. I mean, that's a story that could land you a byline on the front page of the Daily Planet. So we're here today for Season 6, Episode 21, Prototype. The date of original airing was May 10th, 2007. The character of Superman was created by Jerry Seigel and Joe Shuster, and Smallville was created by Alfred Goff and Miles Miller. The writer for today, Stephen S. DeKnight. And the director for this episode is Matt Beck. So now we're going to open our Smallville yearbook and see who our notable guest stars are. Get me a yearbook. Timo Pinnacat as Wes Keenan, and A.C. Peterson as Senator Ed Burke. We also have Gerald Plunkin as Dr. Donovan Jameson. So, Al, are you now ready to enter the Fortress of Solitude, the repository for all the knowledge of the known universe as collected by the Kryptonians, to get a glimpse of where we came from as well as where we may be going? I sure am. This is the Fortress Kartomiva. Lex has been clandestinely trying to turn Wes Keenan, a military man who supposedly died fighting in Afghanistan, into a super soldier by injecting him with DNA pulled from the various meteor-infected Lexus captured. But things go sideways, and Lois ends up in danger during his first mission, bringing Clark and Wes on a collision course. And that's great and all, but it doesn't tell us what we really need to know. So let's examine some additional crystals and ask the important questions. Preliminary findings suggest that the crystal responds at a molecular level to sonic vibrations. This frequency generator may be the key to telling you what you want to know. Does this episode feature a vehicle crashed or otherwise destroyed? Yes. Does this episode feature someone falling unconscious for any reason? Yes. Does this episode feature someone in a hospital bed? No. Does this episode feature Clark telling or showing someone besides his forever crush Lana or the destined love of his life, Lois Lane, his powers and abilities? Yes. Follow up. Does that person die, lose their memory, or otherwise become unable to share this knowledge, or do they become a confidant of Clark? Uh, Yeah, they die. Does this episode feature Clark using his powers irresponsibly? That's debatable. Yeah, uh, probably less so than many other weeks, but there's still some question stuff going on there. Does Clark casually break and enter a business or residence? Yes. 
Does this uh, episode feature a moment where a character travels a seemingly long way to have a short conversation and then leave? Yes. And my favorite part about it is that it calls itself out in the middle yes. of it. <laughs> yeah, they finally called it out. Does this episode feature a conversation between two people or one person has their back to the other and is weirdly talking over the shoulder? Yes. Was a person talking weirdly over their shoulder Lex? Yes, Lex and a few other people. Does this episode feature a particularly thirsty moment for one or more of our characters? No, I don't think so. Does this episode feature a cheeky bit of dialogue that hints at or directly references the wider Superman mythos? Yes. Does this episode feature a moment with a needle drop, wherein a contemporary song perfectly sums up a character's thoughts and or desires? You know, I don't think I caught one. And finally, does this episode feature a classic Smallville leap of logic, wherein the characters jump to a correct conclusion around who or what is behind some mysterious event, or otherwise solves a problem with little to no actual information to base such conclusions? Yes. So now that we have a clearer roadmap of where we're going, let's use our X-ray vision and look closely at this week's episode. In our cold open, the Project Ares facility is being breached as Lex, Dr. Jameson, and Lex's new number one Bartlett watch from a lab. The lab is entered and Lex disarmed by Wes Keenan, the Project Ares prototype. He was able to infiltrate the base in just over two minutes without breaking a sweat. Lex is thrilled with this test run, but would like to see it again. Now, it's been a while, but you know how the show works. We'll start with you. What do you want to talk about at this cold open? Well, I think first, I just want to comment that I thought it was a very effective cold open, one of the more effective ones, to just kind of get you into the mood to watch what was coming next. It's interesting because there's, I watched this episode in pieces, not necessarily on purpose, uh, but because I found myself from time to time having a little bit of a hard time concentrating. But the cold open doesn't have any of that. So I didn't get distracted at all during the cold open. Instead, it was very much a, what's going on here? I'm very curious. And the kind of reveal that, oh, this is a super soldier that Lex has created, or that this is a, an asset that Lex has created uh, was nice. The other thing that I would mention is that I, I think that I really enjoy, you know, the earlier seasons of Smallville, we had this. Lex is good slash Lex is bad slash Lex is good slash Lex is bad. But, you know, at this point in time in, uh, in this cold open in particular, it's like, this is the diabolical Lex Luthor of the comics. Like this is just a man up to no good. Maybe he has the right intentions, but I think even he knows that he's up to no good. And it's kind of a, a cool, cool thing to see. Yeah, he uh, he basically um, orders the murder of a senator and then have it blamed on the mob. It's like there's no yeah. gray to that anymore. Nope. Yeah, so he still thinks he's doing it for the right reasons. Like he he really feels like the super soldiers program he's developed is to save our planet from an alien invasion that he thinks is coming. He's not like necessarily wrong in in some ways because you know zod and kryptonians they are trying to come there and kill everybody uh there's you know other phantoms loose on the planet but the ends justify the means kind of guy as he is i think he's gone so far the other way which is classic lex you know that's that's classic from from the comics too where he truly thinks that superman and the world's reliance on superman for protection makes the planet weaker and so he's trying to devise a way to equal put himself on equal footing but it also turned into like a penis measuring contest in some ways you know uh, (laughs) and type of a thing 
So, yeah, there's there, there's a I love the gray Lex, but I think at this point we are solidly an evil, irredeemable Lex. It's interesting that like a lot of what you're commenting on in terms of his motivations and everything, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but but it probably is another reason that I enjoyed it. As you're saying it, I'm thinking to myself, ah, yes, that's very reminiscent of Zack Snyder's Lex. And I'm a big fan of Zack Snyder's Lex. As you know, uh, I'll fight anybody. No, I don't. Don't fight anybody. I don't really care if you like it or not, but I particularly like it. And so this whole idea of uh, we can't rely on gods, we have to be gods ourselves type of mentality is is very much in line with that particular iteration. I think the cold open works, but it's one of those things that once it's over and you realize what the truth is, it doesn't really make sense either. But again, it's it's just kind of a fun, like, I don't think Lex and Bartlett and Jameson would be reacting the same way if we, they knew that this was their test run. Two minutes, 18 seconds to infiltrate a secure facility, disable my best men and eliminate the target. <laughs> Not a bad test run. Get some fresh guards. I want to see him do it again. But it's, it's a fun little uh, inversion. I do like Lex. My question, though, do we count all the guards as unconscious or did he kill them? It seems like this was a live fire demonstration, at least for the guards. So did Wes kill all those guards? And when he said, get fresh guards, I want him to, is this more executing guards or is this just like knocking them unconscious guards? What do you think? I, I think the implication is that they're executed and dead just from Lex's comment about give me some fresh guards. But you could go either way with it, I think. And there's no, well, there is, right? Because he shows up. And when he gets disarmed by Lex, he's got the gun. So unless that's a non-lethal firearm. Well, he did take it from Lex. So oh, he it, took it from Lex. He, yeah, he didn't walk that's in right. with the gun. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So it's possible he did just knock them all out. So at least for this episode, I've added another asterisk to our scoreboard because mm. I don't know how many people he knocked unconscious. And apparently he did it again. So I'm just going to label this as an asterisk. I'm going to assume that he knocked them unconscious. Maybe like one or two got killed by accident, but I think this was a test run and uh, Wes was under non-lethal orders, uh, which will change shortly. And I think what what backs your uh, interpretation best is that we see later on that there's um, a preference to uh, bladed weapons and there Mm -hmm. is not like a a knife or anything like that that we see whenever he comes in. So that is true. that's That's a good point. Quickly, I wanted to mention, so... So Wes demonstrates a variety of powers. At one point, Chloe brings up, can he teleport like Alicia? And Clark says, no, he can turn invisible like Graham Garrett. So Graham Garrett was the assassin that could turn invisible that befriended Clark in season five, episode Fade. He was killed by Lex at the hospital. So that's probably how he got a hold of him. We also see him, there's an indication that he has super speed. And we're jumping ahead, but when he actually takes out the senator and he leaves, he turns invisible, but there is the whoosh sound effect that we would associate with speed or zooming. So that he's got super speed from someone, uh, probably Bart Allen, when Bart Allen was captured by Project 33.1 for a while. He appears to have some sort of force field ability, which is probably from what are called the twins, uh, which were around in the episode called Mortal. And apparently he also has, has Titan's strength. So those are the, the powers that he 
shows that we can track. He also seems to have the ability to see in like the infrared spectrum, but I am not currently remembering any meteor power that had, that showed that ability because when he's watching Lex and Clark from the shadows, he seems to be looking at them through like a filter, like a X-ray spectrum or infrared spectrum or something. So, you, you know, they, they mentioned uh, obviously Titan as being alien in, in origin or non terrestrial, but I think they just throw it out there randomly. So, I mean, I would just assume for shits and giggles that they uh, killed a predator and oh. took <laughs> some of the tech from the, <laughs> yeah. from the predator and, and did that. That's, that's my assumption. That makes sense as well. Though that does bring up the question that Titan wasn't a meteor infected. He was just super strong alien. All the other powers are from meteor infected. So is it possible they have a super strong meteor infected and Titan donated the DNA peptides, gobbledygook science stuff I don't understand, or is his strength also from Titan? So we'll have to put a, an asterisk on that as I'm not sure. All right. So anything else in the cold open before we move on, sir? No, I don't believe so. All right. If you don't mind, will you read the first act summary, please? Lana prefers to do it herself. Senator Burke stops by about Project Ares once it shut down and threatens Lex. Lena has overheard all this. Clark meets with Lionel and makes his own threats. Lois is off to investigate a dirty senator, and Clark is still being a super jerk to Chloe. Lois confronts Senator Burke just before Wes kills him, but Lois recognizes Wes, who runs off, leaving Lois as a witness. So we start off where at the mansion and Lana is arranging some flowers. I've, I've read and I've seen things before where they talk about like when you're eating in a scene that it's very difficult because that means you're probably going to have to eat over and over like 60, 70, 80 times over the course of a day, depending on who the director is. I'm sure Smallville mm-hmm. doesn't have 80 takes. But it felt to me like Lana was working really hard to do nothing with those flowers. Like she does nothing to them. But she continues to touch them like she is for a very long time. This is not any sort of like um, impugning Kristen's acting. I just think it was a choice for her to be doing that. And then she had to keep doing it, even though she didn't really do anything with it. There's a line here where Lex puts uh, his hand on her and she winces. And she says, The shoulders are still a little bit sore. And she does say shoulders and she pluralizes that. And I totally believe this is a line was added or was in changed because last episode they kept changing which shoulder was shot. Like it changes <laughs> sides like four times throughout the episode. So I think she said shoulders just sort of clarify that, Hey, both of her shoulders were injured last week, not just one. So uh, what about you? So how do you feel about Senator Burke? So he shows up. Lana says she'll excuse herself to the gardens. How do we feel about his portrayal? And we've actually seen him before, but it was in like a surveillance video. So this is our first real interaction with Senator Burke. What do you feel about this character and the actor portraying them? I mean, I think the actor's good. The character's probably a little heavy-handed, but the whole um, corrupt senator thing, it just, uh, I don't know, especially in this particular iteration, there's very much a... uh, it's interesting that Lex chooses to try and blame the death on the mafia because it's kind of like this guy's trying to be not Al Pacino from The Godfather, but one of the other incidentals that gets killed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one of the other one of the other mob leaders or something like that. He's just very he's very heavy handed, I think. 
Um, other than that, though, I mean, it's like I said, the actor did a good job and stuff. And I don't know that there's much. See, this is kind of all right. So this goes to what I was saying earlier about how I had to watch this in like bits and pieces. Like this is a necessary interaction for us to get from point A to point B, but it's not particularly engaging for me personally. And I don't know if that's a me thing or if it's this particular sequence or what it is, but that's the way the whole episode was for me. It was the episode as a whole I enjoyed, but the little pieces uh, didn't necessarily add up to enjoyment. And so I enjoyed this guy's looming overacting, but at the same time, I just kind of found the whole thing to be mildly pointless, I suppose, uh, other than it sets up what's going to happen next. So it has to happen, but at the same time, it's like, eh, it doesn't have to happen. Yeah, see, I completely agree with you. Like, I, I think if you if you isolate this actor's performance, it's it's a really good performance. It does exactly what it needs to do. He's kind of this sort of sweaty, gross, corrupt politician. Uh, he's supposedly like the Kansas U.S. senator, but he does not look to me or act to me like anyone from Kansas. I can, I don't know. I think that may be stupid of me to say, but it, I, I get the feeling that he like moved to Kansas just to get elected. You know, like he's not from there. So he's he's like just awful, but he does a good job at that. But then it's also just still not fun to watch. Fortunately, it's a short scene. It doesn't take long. But I, I completely agree with you. I, I can't quantify it any better than you can. But I, I could have completely done without this scene and just had Lex like on the phone just being like, I wouldn't advise that, Senator. You know, like we could have done it yeah. a little bit more dynamically, focus more on Lex than this other guy who's going to die anyways. I don't know. Maybe that's why it's there is because we have to still care about the guy who's going to murder this guy later. And so we need to dehumanize him a little bit to help humanize Wes later. Maybe, maybe that's why it's there. Uh, maybe. I don't know. But I, I think you have a good point too about the, uh, the, oh, sorry uh, about the, uh, the lack of, I don't even know what, what the word is, but Kansasisms, Kansasisms and the character, the character is played very well but it's played like he's from the bronx almost or you know somewhere on the east coast very much a, a heavy hitter not really a i mean i'm from kansas <laughs> but uh you know i guess there's some heavy hitters in kansas too right so i don't know we do get this uh line though because senator burke mentions that there might be a hole in in lex's security which is a plot line that's kind of weaved its way through the last couple episodes and then he says that you know one of my men thought they had found a mole but can't figure out who it is because my guy got killed. And again, I'm pretty sure this is a direct reference to last episode where Lana was shot in the process of trying to get uh, incriminating evidence to a reporter about Lex and Senator Burke's activities. And then the person who shot Lana, it's just kind of quickly said, but apparently he died once he got in jail. Like once he was actually incarcerated, he died. So so either Lex or Lionel, someone had this guy killed once he was on the inside, uh, which I kind of like that connection back to that as well. We get a quick line about the, his Cayman accounts. That's like universal corrupt politician language for I have a secret bank account in the Cayman Islands. I'm not, I don't quite understand all the, like why it's Cayman. They probably have some kind of rules about bank accounts there or whatever. Uh, but basically, Senator's like, I'm going to shut Project Ares down. And Lex is like, well, I guess we know what happens here. And again, I feel like, there's a bit of an echo or a mirror to the scene we're going to have with Clark. It's obviously not exactly the same, but it is someone who shows up and essentially threatens someone. And 
we try to figure out like what what is the result for Lex? He orders that person's death. For Lionel, we don't know this episode what his response to Clark is or will be. And I think the show is still trying to play Lionel as both sides, though I don't think it works very well. So I kind of feel like that was intentional, that they wanted us to be thinking, oh, what's Lionel going to do to Clark? We see what Lex did to his person. What does Lionel do to Clark? But it's not, at least not in this episode, not resolved. We see we do see Lana eavesdropping in case that was important. But anything else in the scene before we move to Luther Corp Tower? No, I don't think so. I think we've I think we've beaten this dead horse long enough. <laughs> Excellent. See now that's something someone from Kansas would say. <laughs> yeah. So and I also feel like they've changed the Luther Corp Tower. That we used to always see it from the bottom and then it would kind of pan up and we'd see the Luther Corp like billboard thingy, whatever awning. And now we seem to always see it from the top. And it's definitely like the CGI creation or enhanced, like it doesn't look totally real to me. But I think the building itself looks different now. But I, I couldn't, I can't tell you when it changed, but I just noticed it today that that looked different than what I've seen. But Lionel is watching the same video that Lana watched when she got the CD-ROM from Lex's briefcase about Project Ares. And basically this is sort of like, this is what Lex is working towards. He knows that there are these creatures out there alien or not, that are killing people. And that is sort of like what has instigated this desire of his to start this project. Though there's a line later I want to talk about that kind of throws that into to question as well. Lionel is freeze-framing the video, and he's actually writing down symbols based off of what he sees. I see the same thing he sees. I do not see the symbols that he's writing down. You know, that's interesting. I had the same thought. I was like, what is it that we're I, you know, I, I didn't put a lot of um, emphasis on it when I was watching it, but it makes you wonder a little bit about, I don't know, Lionel in relation to maybe some kind of second sight or uh, just some kind of perception that the rest of us don't have. Yeah, I don't I don't know exactly. I also think it's funny because he writes down mirror, but he also was writing, he was also like, he was drawing the symbol, but the symbol was clearly drawn in like a marker <laughs> and his writing mirror was in pen. So that didn't match either. And again, this is connecting to next episode and then early into season one. Spoilers, Bizarro is coming, uh, which is a mirror image of Clark. So apparently that's what this phantom has the ability to do. At least that's what I believe is happening. I have not watched season seven in a while, but I, I know that's where Bizarro comes in. But basically this is the scene that we just did as our cult open. Clark shows up. He basically accuses Lionel of forcing Lex, Alana to marry Lex. He sort of deflects and then Clark threatens him like, hey, if I find out you did this, gloves are coming off. So we've already done all that dialogue, including the joke about maybe you should call instead of showing up. Uh, but anything else you want to say about that scene or anything you want to call out? I just want to bask in the glory of that little joke about maybe you could have called it, it would have been faster. I, I just thought that was the greatest thing when I heard it. I was like, oh, they're finally acknowledging their own faults. I love this. <laughs> it was funny. It was really, really funny for him to do that. There's some timing here that is weird because last episode, Clark learns or kind of deduces with Chloe's help that Lana married Lex because of Lionel or, or, or there's a really good indication that that's why. And so he waited 
how many weeks? Because, I mean, Lana was in the hospital with a gunshot wound. She's out and about now. She's still tender, so I'm not going to say it's been a month, but it's probably been like a week or two. I don't know. I've never been shot. I don't know how long it takes to cure, you know, get over that, but I feel like it's been more than a few days. So Clark just waited until now to go talk to Lana? Like, that just seems like a weird timing issue based on just this being an episodic show. Yeah. And he tells... He tells Chloe that he's going to talk to Lionel, doesn't he, before this? I don't know for sure. Because if he doesn't, then we could always assume that this is simply a nonlinear mm-hmm. <laughs> scene that actually occurred much earlier than the rest, than the rest of this episode. That uh, makes as much sense as anything else. Uh, pretty much, episode. pretty much. Yeah. But, yeah. but that would go back to this idea that, uh, I mean, like I, I love this scene because of the joke, but honestly... After the joke, again, it kind of feels like, why why are we having this? And I understand that this particular scene we're having, not because of this episode, but to continue to set the breadcrumbs for what's coming in further episodes. And I think maybe we're just spoiled by how good television is now in comparison, because like nowadays, if you have this kind of breadcrumb, breadcrumb dropping, the way it happens is usually pretty subtle. And it's not until you go backwards and watch it again that you're like, oh my God, I can't believe they actually put that in the first season. It didn't right. happen until the yeah. third. But this is just like, here's a breadcrumb. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't for this episode, but just pay yep. attention. Yeah. And so it's just kind of an interesting dynamic. Uh, and it it weaves its way in and out of this particular episode. I think there's a lot of that where you're just like, hmm, did we have to do that? I mean, I guess we did, but did we? Yeah. Yeah. I have no, nothing to say, nothing to add. <laughs> After this scene, we jump over to the Talon where Lois is trying to cheer Chloe up. This is another thing that doesn't really work for me here. Cause at the end of last episode, Jimmy went on assignment to like Michigan that's like a one day drive from where they're maybe, maybe two. And he was going to cover a polar bear plunge event, which I'm going to guess lasts a weekend. So I don't understand. I, I, I guess the, cause it has been some time. Maybe the insinuation is that he then went to a different assignment and he's just continuing to be away on assignment. But I, I don't know. It, it felt weird to me because there was, I didn't feel like there was an indication on the last episode that he was going to be gone for a very long extended period of time. So I don't know. It just didn't work for me that she needed cheering up that Jimmy wasn't gone out of her life forever. Though I did like Lois's line that, you know, besides distance is good for the relationship. That is what all the guys who've moved away from me have said. And I liked Lois a lot in this episode. Um, I think the first time that I saw Lois was the last episode that I did with you. And at the time I was like, eh, I don't, I don't know that I like Lois that much, but, um, this episode, I'm like, okay, I understand exactly why Michael likes Lois because she's she's pretty nifty. She's got this a perky energy to her. Yeah. Um, I should say peppy, not perky. She has this sort of energy to her that the show was severely needing, I think, uh, at the beginning of season four after season three. Because season three definitely ends on kind of like a downer note. And I think we needed that positivity right off the bat, this just infusion of excitement and energy, which I think she she brought uh, heavily in season four, which is why I, I liked her initially. Uh, this episode, she gets a lot of like acting, like she gets to do a lot of acting with with uh, T- Tamoa, however you say his name, Wes. I think it works well. I don't think it's great. I don't feel the same way about those scenes as I feel about the one with Senator Burke. 
but I'm also not sure that it does exactly what the show thought it was doing. Yeah. So Clark shows up at the Talon. Lois makes her exit. Was again, she says, "I got to go, uh, like, talk to a senator about bribery or like this corrupt center type of thing." And Clark is just being a jerk to Chloe. He's just sort of restating that she's not been honest with him. Hello, Clark. You're never honest with hardly anybody. And she once again says, you know, if she's staying in that marriage, she must have a damn good reason. Which I think, again, I think this is just a show saying, oh, in case you forgot, last week we insinuated that Clark knew a thing. Because that's all this is, is it's like him relearning the same information in a way. Previously on Smallville. (laughs) Yeah. So then we cut to Metropolis. Uh, Lois has managed with the help of a, like a waiter server at a restaurant to know where Senator Burke is going to be. Uh, he arrives, she confronts him about his Cayman accounts and Burke suddenly cares about her. But when he learns she's for the inquisitor, he's once again like, Oh, no one cares about that. It's not even a real magazine or real newspaper. So he's basically telling his guys to get rid of her. And that's when Burke shows, or excuse me, when West shows up, he kills the first two guards. I'm saying kills because I'm, I'm pretty sure that was part of the thing, no, no witnesses. And then he kills the senator. Why did he turn visible to kill after the senator? Like, like, I think he definitely used his powers irresponsibly this, this episode, because if he has super speed and super strength, why a knife? Why not just like Omni-Man through the face with his fist type of a thing? I don't understand. You know, I had that same thought whenever he, uh, well, later scene, but uh, spoilers. Yeah, right. Um, whenever he punches... Clark and Clark goes flying across, I don't know, a building and maybe two buildings. I don't know, but it hits a bunch of stuff. I just thought to myself, why isn't he just doing that to everybody else? He could go up to somebody and punch them in the chest and cause their heart to fail. And then it looks like, of course, he was told to make this look like an assassination from the mob. So that kind right. of explains that. that. That makes sense. But it doesn't explain like any other witnesses. Like if his position was you know, you need to make sure this looks like a mob hit and there are no witnesses. Then you would think that the first thing he would do is kill Lois, right? Because this is somebody that's not supposed to be there anyway. And it seems that he goes by her to get to the, uh, yeah, and maybe senator. he doesn't, but it seems that he goes by her to get to the senator. And, you know, he could, like you were saying, he did a little Omni-Man punch in the, in the back and, and again, stop her heart, kill everybody, and then take her body and put it somewhere else. The only thing that I can think of is that from the very beginning, uh, he's having some kind of reaction uh, to her because there's that whole history between the two of them. And I think that that's clearly why he goes visible. Like, I think that he, even though he doesn't have the reaction facially until she says his name, I think that he's already having that reaction. He's just not sure what it is that he's feeling. And then once she says his name, then it kind of clicks and then he like really freezes. But I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense because otherwise Lois would be dead and we wouldn't have, yeah. we, we wouldn't have a, a, an episode, but right. Right. Yeah. I mean, exactly. And that's the answer to all these questions is because that's the way it was written. Yeah. But part of what I want to do with this show is to try to figure out, okay, let's, let's say this is all real, you know, and, and try to, where we can investigate things and try to come up with conclusions. But sometimes it just comes down to, cause that's the way it was written. Cause he never would have turned visible. He would have killed them all. He does turn invisible. And then that's where we get that sound effect. That sounds like the zoom sound where he basically ran away after not killing Lois. And I, that was kind of a fun inversion. Honestly, for me is that when Lois is like, Wes, 
because I, you know, obviously I'd seen this years and years ago, but I hadn't seen it in a while when I watched it for the first time when I did my season six rewatch. And that is kind of a fun thing. And it fits with the character. She's an army brat. We've known that about her. And so for this to be someone she knew, like it's not so far out of the realm that it's like a cheat and it kind of fits everything. So I really like that. I did look up the character or the actor's ages and um, the actor who plays Wes is three years older than Lois, which I think still would fit. I could see that as like a, a relationship army brats on a army base, you know, her early high school, him late high school age type of a thing. Yeah. And, and visually there's not like a, it's not like a, it's not like Clark is a freshman at Smallville <laughs> in the first season when you're like, there's no way that's a freshman. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a 27 year old man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So in our second act, the story is that Senator Burke was killed by the mob, but Lois knows that it was Wes and that he's career military and would not be working for the mob. Chloe pulls his file, and it says he died four months ago. Lex isn't thrilled to learn that there was a witness to Burke's murder and leaves Bartlett and Jameson, Dr. Jameson to, do, to clean it up, and of course they decide to send Wes. Lois is going to stay at the farm. She asks Martha to try and get Wes's military file. Shortly, Wes attacks and stops short of killing Lois, but does take her hostage and disappears. So we start at the Daily Planet, it's all a buzz. Clark shows up, not sure what's going on. Chloe fills her in. I do want to say this is it stuck out to me. When Chloe is carrying that mug of tea that she gives to Lois, there's actual tea in there. Like you can see the liquid in the mug sort of moving as they're walking. And that is so rare in mm-hmm. a TV show for them to have a cup of anything that's actually got something in it. Like that's like the joke in so many videos is, how people act with coffee cups that are clearly empty. Uh, See Gilmore Girls, for example. But there's actual tea in the mug. I don't know why that stood out to me as fun. Well, probably because previously, previously on Smallville, (laughs) uh, probably because because previously on Smallville, you'd seen the exact opposite and thought, oh, that's funny. And so then when Mm. you saw it in real life, you're like, oh, wow, real tea. Maybe Lois is a fan of tea. Maybe she's a tea fan. Maybe. And again, she's been through a been through an event, you know, she just saw three people murdered. She herself was threatened and she saw the person who did it. She recognized the person who did it. And then they turned invisible and ran away. You know, maybe, maybe some tea would be a good, good thing to have right then. Uh, I like her line. Looks like he works for the mob now. Wes? No way. He's career military. He's been decorated more than a Christmas tree. I just think that's fun, especially at the holiday season. We're, we're about to put up our tree today. Yes, we put up our tree yesterday, but we're supposed to decorate today. I don't know that we're actually going to get around to it, but we'll see. Yeah, we normally do it on the Saturday after, but we had some other things come up, so it got pushed back a day. There's this thing at the end where when Chloe looks up his file and sees that he was declared dead uh, and then his records are classified, they do this thing where like they all look at each other as like, almost like like mentally they're connected and they're, they're going to make a plan together, but it doesn't really fit the scene. I don't, it just seemed like this weird cut to me. I don't know why it stood out to me as odd the way they all sort of, they, they cut to show us all looking at each other. I don't know. Didn't work for me. Yeah. I don't really remember it. So I guess it didn't work for me either, (laughs) (laughs) but in the opposite direction. (laughs) So we cut to Reeves dam where Wes is being examined So I assume you're familiar with the movie Universal Soldier? Yes. 
which is like 10 years prior to this episode, but is very, yeah. very similar to this where you have these uh, essentially dead soldiers that are reanimated and turned into super soldiers. And then the Van Damme character, the lead one, uh, starts to regain his memories because of something that happened that was similar to the, the thing that happened that caused his death originally, which isn't exactly a one-for-one, one, but there's it, this definitely felt like a universal soldier sort of thing to me, which, again, I like that movie, so it's not, not a negative. No, no complaints about it. But I was kind of, I mean, let me ask you, because at this point in time, I'm watching stuff that I'm, I'm out of order completely. Like originally when we, when you first started this, I was like, I'm going to watch every episode with them. It's going to be great. And then like after the first season, uh, not even the full, like, that's a lot. The first half There's 22 first episodes season. every season. That's a lot. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just watch the ones that I need to watch. So is there, is there already a, uh, a Smallville cyborg character at this point in time? In yes, Smallville? Cy- the character cyborg has been introduced into the show okay. and is currently okay. on a super team with Oliver Queen going around the world, taking care of Flex's other 33.1 facilities. Okay. Okay. Because uh, and when I first read the, uh, the what's it called? The summary for this, I thought to myself, oh, it's going to be a backdoor cyborg. No. So no, it was not. It was definitely, it was definitely, like you said, um, Universal Soldier. Is that what it was? Um, yes, it was definitely the the Jean Claude, the Jean Claude Van Damme Jean Claude film instead. Uh, which I'm, you know, I'm I'm perfectly fine with this. Here's my question though: something went wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And and very clearly something went wrong. And even you know the doctor's like, oh look, he's, he's spiked right here, blah 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 blah. Why would you send him back to clean up the mess? <laughs> no, no, you absolutely would not do that. I think that's that old sort of, ad, you know, that if all you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Yes. If you have yeah. a super soldier, every problem looks like a super soldier problem. Yeah. But yeah, they have a witness who I'm sure they've already identified. They don't mention it to Lex specifically and say it was Lois because he would recognize the name and might, maybe might change how he, how he responds. But they have to know by now who it is. It's just a person. They've got lots of people on payroll. I'm sure that it could just shoot a person. So, yes, it was so silly of them to do that. And even when Lex was like, nothing can get in the way, Bartlett and Jameson look at each other like, oh, crap. Like, they've already killed three people. Like, why are they now like, oh, I guess we got to kill. Yeah, yeah, you're you're in a killing team. That's what you do. You're killing people. Uh, (laughs) Arguably a bunch of, uh, what's it called? Innocent civilians? Uh, a bunch of your own your own uh, guards, uh, Guard. arguably arguably a bunch of your own guards. Yeah, so right, like true. you really you really got to know that you're in you're in this penny and a pound, so to speak. And yeah, it's get get used to it. People are gonna die. But I had the same thought. Like I just everything in that scene, I was just like, this is this is where the oh, it's a TV show, so we have to make sure that this happens this way <laughs> comes in because otherwise. It makes no sense. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we then cut over to the farm, and Lois is there, and basically Clark is inviting Lois to stay at the farm, and Martha like, reinforces that she's always welcome. It's almost like she's family. And we get this line where she talks about Clark catching her in the shower again, but that's not how that scene happened. The first time they met, she joined him in the shower, I think. Like, it was absolutely, she was the one that instigated that. And there was another scene later at the Talon where Clark caught her in the shower, but that wasn't at the farm. So I don't know if if that was just like a writing mistake or just 
her being funny, whatever. But I do really like when Mar- when she says, well, can I ask another favor? And Clark kind of like, John Wayne's up. What do you need, little lady? And she's like, I actually need your mom. Like, I just, I like the way that played out because Clark obviously assumed that he was the one that would be called on here. And, and even Martha kind of gives a little look, uh, like an, almost like an eye roll that I thought was really funny in that moment. I agree. I liked that. I did enjoy that. I don't know about the, how, what did you think about the attack and the subsequent abduction? He sent to kill a witness and then he creates another witness to mm-hmm. kidnap the first witness. So you, you could argue that he thought Clark would be dead when he hit him. Like he yeah, assumes yeah. this guy's a normal dude. He assumes he's dead. And then Lois, again, is starting to break through this brainwashing or, or whatever they've done to him. And so when he realizes that Clark isn't dead, he's already on the far side and decides to, to kidnap Lois. I guess it does kind of work, but it's a little sloppy. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt about it, too. It was interesting, though. I, and I'm assuming, again, this is just me assuming, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming that um, Clark and Titan fought and Titan mm-hmm. knocked the crap out of him a few times. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It looked in, like Clark in, in was going to lose the same that way. fight. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's just interesting. Um, th- that whole scene was just kind of, I don't know, I it worked for what it needed to do. Like it did what it needed to do, but it goes back to that general problem of that we were talking about the last scene, that the idea that if you have a super soldier, everything looks like it's a job for a super soldier. Yeah, it, um, it was completely it just, unnecessary. It still doesn't make sense. <laughs> and does does Lex not know that his super soldier attacked the farm? Because I feel like that was intentional that they didn't tell Lex that it was Lois was the witness because that might have, oh, I know her and she knows Clark. I wonder how he would have felt about learning that Wes was sent to the farm because of his relationship with Clark and wanting to learn Clark's secrets and everything like that. I feel like this was the setup for the big fight. Like, so Clark doesn't even get to throw a punch. He just gets hit. He realizes how strong this guy is. And then they disappear. But jumping at that fight, is dull. Like, I, I wanted a super fight. And I didn't get one, I think maybe because they were trying to go for emotion here, but I still think the super fight at the end is bad. Yeah, you kind of wonder, like, it felt like also a bit of a um, cost-cutting savings type of deal. I I don't know what their budget was like and if it was uh, attached directly to episode, episode to episode, or if it was attached to the whole season and they were trying to save up for something later on. But, But there is some... There's a lot of shots in that last fight. And really in in this whole entire episode, there's a lot of shots that kind of scream. I'm trying to be cheap, not, not cheap shots, but just like I'm an independent film uh, director and I'm trying to save money because I only have so much. And so I kind of wonder if I mentioned it last week that, I haven't heard a lot of music lately. And I think that's partly because of money too. They're like, they don't have the the music is expensive. Yeah. Yeah. At this point in time, they're probably paying their main cast a, a pretty Normally, pretty penny yeah. as well. Yeah. So this is part of my. I think Clark uses his powers irresponsibly. He he knows that Lois saw someone turn invisible. Why would he not use his X-ray vision in super hearing rather than just like walking around the barn when he thinks he hears a thing? Like I just the fact that he's not always using his powers to me is just kind of irresponsible. Yeah, I want, and that's I wondered about that too because and I wondered about that in the main fight as well. Like, 
in that first fight, I could kind of see him just being uh, lax, you know, like just, I'm, I'm not sure what I'm up against and I'm, I'm but I'm, I am me. So <laughs> whatever right. it is, it's not going to be me. So, so I can see him being a little bit, I mean, he just did the whole John Wayne. What do you need? Little lady thing. You know, yeah. he could, he could be overestimating his enemy at this point in time, but by the time they get to the big fight, like you still don't see it. Like, I think. Yeah. West turns visible for some dumb reason. It's yeah. Like it's like, why him. did, why did we not, why did we not do something with x-ray vision? Why didn't we do something with sound? I kept expecting something with sound. That's kind of what I kept expecting, but, uh, but nothing of that. Instead, it just, he turns visible for no reason upon occasion. So, you know, I don't, I don't know what the deal is with, with the writing in regards to that, but I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's a foolish, a foolish non-use of your superpowers. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just an odd, it's an odd deal. So uh, essentially, though, what happens is that Clark is stunned. Lois tries to get through to Wes. It seems to, again, work long enough that, at least well enough, that he doesn't outright kill her. But he grabs her. They both turn invisible. And I'm counting her as going unconscious because the next time we see her, she wakes up. So unless this happened, like, took like a week and she just fell asleep naturally, I'm assuming he choked her or somehow she went unconscious. So we're counting her as going unconscious here, even though we don't actually see it. So anything else before we move on to the third X, sir? No, I don't believe so. All right. If you don't mind, will you read that summary, please? Chloe and Clark game plan at the Talon, and Clark decides to talk to Lex or someone else. Lex is trying to set the mood, but Lana's not having it. Bartlett arrives with bad news, and Clark speaks to Lex and learns Lex is involved in Project Ares. Lex asks the good doctor to get Wes back online. Lois has managed to get through to Wes, but he's rebooted and she runs. So that's another thing I wanted to talk about. The way he acts and some of the like the, the words, phrases he uses makes me feel like he's got like computer parts. I know you, you kind of mentioned earlier about like a cyborg analog sort of a thing, but there's no indication that he has cybernetic parts, but he's acting more like a computer program. He's like incorrect designation. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, I, I don't know, there's a couple other couple other phrases he uses that felt more like computer code language than just like someone who was brainwashed, you know? Yeah. And I, and I kind of think, and I could be wrong, but I kind of think there's a couple of conversations with the doctor where the science mumbo jumbo also seems to suggest that there's some kind of implants in the brain area mm-hmm. in addition to the, in addition to the genomes, uh, being collected uh, by the alien peptides yeah. and uh, alien peptides, <laughs> um, which is really. I did funny. look up peptides. So <laughs> I think I put it in here somewhere. Yeah, a peptide is a short string of twenty to fifty amino acids formed by a condensation reaction joining together through a covalent bond. Apparently, that means you can make superpowers, but I don't understand Ooh-wee. it. <laughs> That's the only way that you, you have to have the alien peptides to to get the alien slash meteorite dna to attach to a regular human being that's that's what the that's what the key is there but now it's funny because i I watch everything with uh what's it called with with the captions on now yeah Yeah. because i'm old so i'm like i have to see it (laughs) and and anytime they start talking about medical stuff and i read it 
as I'm watching it, I'm like, oh my God, this is such bull. <laughs> You're just making up words at this point. <laughs> yeah, that, that scene in particular, which we're not quite there yet, but that whole scene, that doctor is just like exposition machine and then Lex fills in some additional exposition. Like it made me think of Austin Powers. We got uh, Basil exposition here helping us figure out what's going on. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> All right. So we start here at the towel and we do get an exterior shot and there is a shooting star. I know I've, I've mentioned several times that it seems like there's shooting stars all the time when we see the night sky here. And I can't remember which guest it was, but someone mentioned that it might be like a, a hint that there's a Kryptonian or other alien in the future, which kind of matches what happens in the next couple episodes. So maybe, maybe. Hmm. Uh, but this is where we get the scene where Clark's telling Coley what happened. And she's like, I don't understand how you, you know, you could lose this fight. And he's like, he has abilities, you know, he can disappear. And she's like, like Alicia, he's like, no, he like Graham Garrett, but he also has strength to match Titan. Uh, and again, the other ones that we mentioned as well. Uh, she's dug into his, his military file and didn't find anything specific, but did learn that he was married to Jody Keenan, who was in two episodes back, uh, who had taken Lex hostage. And this is where they're like, oh, well, she must have figured out that Lex was involved. So therefore, Lex must be involved. And a little bit of a leap of logic here, I would say. Not a huge one, but a little bit of one. And that's when... What a dink. What a uh, very, Yeah, dink. very quinkening. So she, he wants her to call Oliver because his team's off looking at 33.1 facilities. And she, gets, she says, isn't that a hero-to-hero conversation? He's like, I'm going to go talk to Lex. You're super speed. You could do both. You you could do both. <laughs> yeah, but then we'd have to pay somebody to show up and play all of for the episode. <laughs> so we're gonna we're not gonna do that. <laughs> we're gonna handle that off screen. That's right. That's right. And this is where we get the line. We both know that Lex isn't gonna tell you anything. And I'll find somebody who will. And then he goes straight to Lana. So was that always the plan? When he said I'm gonna go talk to Lex, did he mean I'm gonna go talk to Lana? That's what I assumed. Uh, well, no, I take that back. I thought that he initially was going to talk to Lex, but as soon as Chloe made the comment, he's not going to tell you anything, that he immediately was like, yeah, but Lana's there, so she will. And which was just kind of cocky of him, really. <laughs> but yeah, but that is the that is the impression I got. There's a bit of a there's a bit of cocky Clark around in this episode. So <laughs> yeah. So we, we cut to the mansion. Uh, Lana comes out of the shower and Lex has lit like a million candles. Too much, he says. Yes, I respond. Yes, that is too much. <laughs> it looks like it looks like the uh, meatloaf, right? I wouldn't do anything for oh, love. Yes. <laughs> Surrounded by candles and stuff. <laughs> uh, kind of yep. expect it to start playing in the background or something. Lex would do anything for love. And Lana says, but I won't do that because <laughs> she once again pulls away from him. But just imagine how much money would go into that needle drop if they, if they could oh, grab man. that one. <laughs> that would be the, that, there was going to be a season 11, but they had to turn into a comic book because of that. Yeah, that would be, wow. <laughs> Again, and I'm not trying to be gross. I'm really not. But I have been trying to like kind of keep up with like the whole Lex Lana relationship because she knows how awful he is. She's only in the marriage because Lionel forced her to. But she's staying in the marriage to protect Clark. And I just don't know how you could be in a marriage that new and it not be a physical relationship, at least some of the time. But it seems like every time... Lex tries. She says no. 
which again, it's her right. Fine. I'm not saying she should, has to, but it would be weird to be, to get into a brand new marriage. And then all of a sudden one partner doesn't want to be physical with the other. I think the other partner would be like, Hey, something weird's going on. And I think maybe we finally got to that part because Lex is starting to really show his frustration where before he's always been like, you know, I'm happy to wait uh, whenever you're ready. I understand you're, you know, emotional, whatever. But I think at this point it's, it's gotten to be a weird situation and he's like kind of over it. Yeah. There's some, there's some definite uh, vague threatening going on in this scene. It's not, it's interesting because it's presented as though you're supposed to feel kind of sorry for Lex, but by this point in time, you've also heard him like basically, you know, order murders and not give yeah. two flying whatever about what he's doing. And so like ducks, ducks, are flying, ducks. flying ducks. Yes. Um, so there is no, there's no way that you have any kind of sympathy for him. So instead it just comes off probably the way it's supposed to, which is as a definite vague threat of, put out or I'm going to do something uh, not saying what I'm going to do, but if you, if you break my heart, I'm going to do the worst things to you. <laughs> um, yeah. Just very. And it's like, okay, dude, like, you know, it's interesting though, too, like talking about Lex and, and, and Lana, previously you talked about the age, age difference and stuff. And one of the things that I kind of visually gravitated to in this episode with regard to Lana is that, she really is very much a woman and not a girl at this point in time. And so that kind of eeriness that was in the very first part of their pseudo relationship, it doesn't feel like it's there anymore for me visually. Instead, it's more of a eeriness with regard to, well, I am somebody who's big and powerful and very, very vindictive. And you will do what I tell you to do as opposed to, oh yeah, you're preying on this kid. Like, does that make sense? Like she very much seems to be a woman at this point in time. I don't disagree. I think the way that Lana carries herself and then she presents herself, she definitely feels like a Shania Twain song feels like a woman. Yes. But, <laughs> I, but, it, but if you've been watching the whole time, knowing where it started, uh, to me, it, it has retained that ick factor because again, I'm seeing it every episode, scene by yeah. scene by scene. But I guarantee if someone, like if this was the first episode someone ever watched of Smallville, there was there is nothing that would indicate, oh, she's too young for him. At least I don't think yeah. so. Uh, certainly the gaslighting, the manipulation, you know, him being evil, that's all there. But yeah, I would say if this was your first ever experience to show at all and you didn't know the actors' ages, you would be like, okay, they're in a relationship. It's no, nothing of interest there. Yeah, I think more than anything, that was kind of my thought. And it not even really regards to that. Cause it was throughout the whole, throughout the whole episode. Anytime I saw Lana, I thought to myself, man, she's grown. Like I'm an old man or whatever. And she used to be a kid, but now she's all grown up. That's right. But, it, but really like just looking at anytime that she was on screen, I thought to myself, yeah, like we actually, I mean, we didn't see, we didn't see Tom Wellington grow up because he was clearly a 27 year old man being a freshman in high school, but we did get to kind of watch Christian Kirk grow up a little bit like let's see when she begins she's much more a kid than she is at this point in time like this is uh this is, this is somebody who's grown into the role but also grown into uh herself at the same time so it's an, an interesting visual for me uh to to take that break you should do it sometime not obviously you're doing it episode for episode but 
say five years from now, go watch, watch something from season one and then jump ahead to season, what are oh, we, yeah. six, yeah. And and just uh, have that experience of saying, oh, wow, these people are, we, we, we can really watch them grow up on screen if we want to, to some degree. Roughly, Kristen would have been around 18 in season one, which is definitely closer to the 14-year-old-ish yeah. you would expect yeah. a freshman to be where Tom was 27, I think. So uh, So that relationship is just as icky. It's just not presented that way because his <laughs> character is also supposed to be 14, He's where 14. Lex was already in his uh, yeah, low 20s, I believe. Yeah. All right, so anyway, so Bartlett shows up and says, hey, there's been a problem, so he has to step out and talk. And again, I'll say I was very successful in my career, both at Target and Home Depot. Mm-hmm. There might have been a few people who would argue with that, maybe my supervisors, But I would argue that I did a really good job. And the thing that I was best at was hiring good people and then just letting them do their jobs. Like I was not a micromanager at all. And when you hire well and you train correctly, then your job as a supervisor is so much easier. Having said that, I think it was a colossal mistake for for Lex to order Bartlett and Jameson to take care of this problem and then just leave and then have to be... You know, like again, why didn't Bartlett call him? He had to like drive all the way back to the mansion to then deliver. And like, there's a lot of time that could have been saved here if Lex would have just like hung out for 20 minutes. But anyway, so while he's talking to Bartlett in the hallway, this is where Clark shows up. And again, Lana now knows Clark has superpowers. Doesn't know he's an alien, but knows that he has superpowers. At least I don't think she knows he's an alien yet. But he doesn't know that she knows. Did he not just show her his powers by getting into and out of her bedroom? instantly like i feel like that's pretty obvious there bud that when you disappear before lex walked in that you're showing her that you got abilities i agree <laughs> uh especially also when he leaves <laughs> yeah exa- exactly because she even turns around and and he's gone you know yeah. maybe a little bit surprised that he was able to get out so quickly without making a sound but if she didn't already know that he at least had super speed or invisibility one of the two, she would now believe that because there's no other explanation for how he did that. There's such an interesting undertone of infidelity in this particular scene as well. Like just the way in which some of that dialogue is delivered and the dialogue itself, you shouldn't be here. Lex is just outside. Mm. It's very soap opera-ish infidelity. It's not, you're my friend. It's, you're my more than friend. And I don't know why you're here because we're only supposed to see ourselves. We're supposed to see each other in certain situations where we can't right. get caught. And so it's kind of an interesting uh, undertone that that's that's floating around in all this. Yeah, I didn't pick up on that. And I actually wonder if maybe we should go back and change our thirsty moment to a yes, because they like very yeah. close, almost kiss. They are definitely looking at each other with longing before Lex comes back in. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. I mean, it's not the traditional beefcake bikini pose thirsty that I kind of, you know, tongue in cheek wrote when I first came up with that. But uh, there definitely was some longing and thirst in in those looks. So I would say that we probably should have said yes to that one. But when Clark says Lois is in trouble, Lana says, like, how can I help? And then he asks some questions and it turns out she actually does know exactly what's going on or at least some of what's going on that Wes is, that the asset is missing. So all that tells Clark is that he didn't do what he was supposed to do. And that they also don't know where he is. But then he leaves and goes back home. And this is where we're going to get uh, more information in a minute. But Lex comes back in and then says, hey, something's come up at work. I got to leave. Uh, oh, but sorry. The thing that I left out, though, was 
because Clark says, you know, whatever reasons you went through marrying him were the wrong reasons. Uh, you don't know what he's capable of. And Lana says, you'd be surprised what I know, which is both related to the fact that she knows that he faked her pregnancy and that Clark has powers. Uh, and he, of course, says, well, then why? We all have our secrets, Clark. Sometimes we have to keep them to protect the people that we care about. Which I feel like is her telling him, I know you have powers and I'm keeping your secret. Like, I just feel like if everybody would just like take a second to think about what people are saying rather than just re- reacting to them emotionally, there'd be a lot, lot fewer secrets. Yeah, I, I can see that. Uh, you know, the other thing that I thought when she said that was that it was another not so subtle uh, call out. Again, kind of in the same manner that you're saying, not, not really, I know your secret, but shut the hell up about secrets, Clark. (laughs) (laughs) Pot kettle, you know, I mean, yep. So uh, maybe a combination of both of those things. And, and it's, it's interesting, but it's, it's television, it's books, it's uh, movies, uh, what 80 to 90% of your conflicts could be resolved if people simply uh, communicated effectively and with clarity uh, Mm -hmm. between each other. So, I mean, Hey, Anybody out there that's looking for relation advice, this is uh, Big Al and Michael. We're here for you. We'll take your calls shortly. Uh, exactly. But just know that the key is communication. Communication. Don't do what they do on Smallville. Communicate. <laughs> I, I as, as of many people who podcast, I assume I'm a failed novelist. I, I've, I've tried to be a writer for many years. I've, I have a one novel that I completed, which, which is terrible. But one of the things that I told myself when I started writing years and years ago is that I would never rely on characters misunderstanding each other for drama. Like there, there would have the conversation, the drama would come from something else. Can't say that I ever succeeded at that because I never got a good novel. But I hate that trope so much. It is so overused that I'm like, I'm just never going to do that. And I guess technically I never did that because I never wrote never wrote a good book. Uh, but yes, I also hate that trope of if we would just talk to each other, we would not be mad at each other anymore. But what's funny about it though, is that it, it is a trope and it is frustrating, but how often could you apply it to your own life? Like going backwards, I'm not saying, Oh, you're not communicating well, Michael. I'm saying if you were to look at your life on a whole from when you were a child growing up junior high, high school, college through to today, how many times did you have an opportunity to communicate effectively and failed to do so? I mean, I know I'm guilty of it, which is why I kind of forgive it a lot when it happens on television shows, because I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I don't like it because it's such a cliche, but yeah, I'm guilty of it. So yeah, go ahead. We'll, we'll roll with it. But again, uh, Big Alan, Mike here telling you to uh, solve all your relationship problems, just <laughs> communicate effectively. Uh, yeah. e- email your question, smallvillefancast at gmail.com. And the answer will be talk to, talk to them. Tell right. them exactly how you feel. That's Clearly, right. Yeah. <laughs> so we cut over to the military base, which we will shortly learn is Fort Alvelson. Uh, this is where Lois wakes up. So there's no indication of how she went unconscious, but clearly at some point she did. Wes is there and she calls him Wes and he corrects her. And again, this is that sort of robotic computer style vocalization designation incorrect call sign Aries prototype Mark IV. So we do learn shortly that there have been other super soldier prototypes. Is prototype still the right word if there's been four of them? I don't. I'm not. I'm not like trying to like. Oh, I got you. I just. I don't know. I would think prototype is the the first one you make. 
Is the second one still a prototype? If you make corrections, maybe? I think maybe if you're conceptualizing an army, then everything up until instigating real one you know yeah instigating a full scale all right we're going into production now i mean we see all spoilers at the end of the seas at the end of the series at the end of the episode yeah um we see all the the bodies ready to go for super soldier so i think if you're like yeah we're gonna make an army then probably until you get all the bugs worked out you're it's like uh, alpha testing and beta testing like it's still it's still technically probably a prototype because it's not until you get through all that testing that you release the final the final uh countdown no that you release the final product um so yeah i think it probably still is but I, but but to your point i totally get it but but also to your point or maybe to my point a combination of both you know again why the hell are they sending something that that's clearly not working completely correct to make up for its own mistakes. Like that, that's just one of those deals where like, Oh, well, you know, we, we made a mistake, but we're going to just compound that mistake by using the same element that made the mistake to correct the mistake. Yep. And it uh, makes no sense outside of the fact that it has to happen in the show, the way it has to happen. I do like Lois's story and, and the way it sort of like twists, like you, you feel like it's building up to, they were each other's first. Mm. And then he actually got drunk and passed out and hit his head. I, I I thought that was a fun sort of inversion of what we thought was going to happen. The, you know, again, this is where Erica gets to do a lot of acting. She's, she's, you know, capital A acting here. And overall, again, it works. I don't have any problems with it, but I don't also, I don't know that it, it elevates the way it's supposed to. Because I think the episode is trying to hang its hat on this scene and then her reaction to what happens at the end rather than giving us a very cool super fight. And as someone who loves story more than fighting, kind of think we needed more fighting in this episode. So apparently it didn't quite work for me. I, don't, I, I mean, I can't point to anything in particular and say that was bad, but it just didn't reel me in the way I wanted it to. So then I was just like, I wanted more action. I think it may very well be a balancing issue that we have this episode that is really trying to balance. Uh, we're setting you up for the future along with its own story. And it really feels like there's so much setting up for the future that they didn't bring enough time to humanize Lois going into that. I mean, like, you know, that conversation almost needs to be, almost needs to happen twice, right? It almost needs to happen between her and Chloe and then between her and Wes, whenever he's trying, she's trying to make him remember. And, and it, you know, it almost should have some inconsistencies between the two of them, something that really pulls you into it and makes you think, okay, what actually happened? Mm. You know, you know, it's something that really gets you into the mind of, of Lois Lane. Uh, but instead what it is, is it's like, okay, we've got 41 minutes and we have to make sure that we fill all 41 minutes. Uh, but we also have to make sure that we prepare enough uh, breadcrumbs for future 41 minutes uh, that are going to take up about, I don't know, 20 minutes maybe. And so we only have 21 minutes for the actual story. Okay, guys. So we need to uh, make this happen, but make it happen quickly, but also make it emotional uh, and also save some money. Okay. No big fight. Yeah. And also, <laughs> yes, it's just interesting. Uh, it's an interesting uh, episode. And I, I'm, like I said, from the very beginning, I like it on a whole, but it's, it's bizarre how it does not, 
the little pieces don't really fit together. It's it's mm. not a bad episode, but the pieces don't fit together at all. They're just kind of all over the damn place, in my opinion. No, I, again, I don't disagree with you. So Wes seems to recognize her, but then he seems to also be, he's basically he's had this internal battle with whatever actual computer programming or brainwashing he's gone under. Uh, we cut back to the Reeves Dam, and this is a scene that I, this one kind of like made my eyes widen in alarm. So Lex walks in and says, Three years and a billion dollars spent on Aries, and you're telling me you lost him? So that means we've been working on this program for three years, which that means that Lex has been working on Project Aries in some form or another since season three. And back in season three, I was all on the Clark should tell Lex that I think there's still <laughs> salvation for Lex. Lex can be saved. And just like last episode for the past, the torch question, I, the question was when should Clark have told Lex? And I said, it should have been season three between episode, I think nine and 16. But that means right around the same time that I thought Clark should tell Lex his secret. Lex was already working on this secret program where he was capturing meteor infected. And like, I just feel like that, Three years really sort of like throws a wrench into a lot of the things that I had thought about Lex for the last three years. Well, but you have to, you have to like, okay, so if we go back, uh, and I'm not going to do this, but you can if you want to. If we go back and consider the powers that we do see Wes with, what is the earliest one? Like how far back season-wise is the earliest one? Because I think that you can make the argument that to the, to the degree that he's saying three years and a billion dollars, that first year is probably nothing substantial like nothing but uh, people coming up with plans and building facilities and things like that because you can't just jump into um, human testing so to speak like you've got to have the groundwork so you know i mean you can maybe give him you can maybe give him a pass on that and still say that your time period in terms of when he should have been told about out, uh, Clark is still correct because he, he would still have some ability to to change his ways at that point in time because we're not talking about uh, dead soldiers yet. We're just talking about plans for dead soldiers. <laughs> so, right. so we can drop plans, we, but once we have dead soldiers, we're, we're in a whole different ballgame, you know? Uh, but I don't know. So I'm just quickly looking, and as far as I can tell, all the powers that we see here would have been from season five or season six. Uh, Bart shows up in season four, but he's not captured by Lex until season five. So, uh, or maybe even season six, actually, that's justice. Yeah. So most of them appear to be season five or season six. See, and that makes more sense time-wise too. Like if you're talking about, I mean, yes, clearly this endeavor is absurdly expensive, but um, if you started it in season three, then you were doing just the preliminary math and the preliminary science and the preliminary engineering in terms of building the structures that you're going to need to do the rest. And then in season four, you're doing the experiments with DNA to try and get these things to combine, but you can't get them to combine until you have Titan, right? And Titan is season five? Season six. Season six. I think so. It's just a few episodes back. So at this point, you're having limited to no success, but you're still feel like you can get that success if you if you can get one element so you're still pouring money into it you're still you're still fighting with the dna but you have started to collect dna because again that's the goal the goal is that we're going to make super soldiers that's season four uh and then season uh, or that's season five uh, and then season six would be when you first actually 
have your first prototypes. I don't know. I don't know if that matches or not. I mean, it's, it's, it's close. It's a possibility, but I don't you know. made a good argument, Look, whether you believe it or not, you, you, you convinced me, uh, as, as a lawyer, I would, I would be on the jury for you. <laughs> I, I also think it's funny cause this is 2007 and a billion dollars is still just an obscene amount of money. But if that same scene was written today, they would be like three years and $20 billion. Like it wouldn't be a billion anymore. No, you're right. Agreed. So again, we get the big, big exposition. Synthesizing multiple meteor abilities is difficult enough, but stringing together the molecular chain with peptides extracted from that creature that Bartlett recovered. The only thing that allows all these abilities to exist in one subject. Titan's genetic material was the key to making this project viable. Yes. Which is going to come back later because all the Titan peptides are gone. So they're going to have to find another source, which leads into next episode. Lex again states his magnanimous stance. This is all in the name of protecting our world from unstable criminals with dangerous powers, uh, which is also delivered slightly over the shoulder. He says, I'm like, can't you track him? He's like, it's kind of hard to get a fix on him. That's one of his powers. It's kind of the point, though. I don't know which power that would be because he says he can't be fixed like electronically or you know, like, why doesn't he have like a GPS in him or something? So I don't know what power that was going to be. But basically, uh, they come up with, let's just reboot him. Because that's what you do with technology. It's not working. What do you do? You reboot it. Uh, right. So they're going to send a spectrum-wide pulse, basically, and just try to reboot him over the airwaves. Which, again, I do actually, th I think this has to be a joke. Like, it's not played for a joke, but I have to think in the writer room, they were like, we're going to reboot him? Yeah, we're going to reboot him. Okay, perfect. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense, actually, in terms of like an internal joke that we're going to play it for not laughs, but in the learning room, we're going to laugh our asses off. Yeah, <laughs> yes. We're, we're all high-fiving that day because that was the best <laughs> yeah, joke. Yeah, we got it. <laughs> well, that may be this whole episode, right? They're like, oh my God, they said the thing about the phone. High five. <laughs> <laughs> Just all the way through. Oh, we got that one in too. High five. <laughs> Um, oh, yeah, there's some know, there's some but... fire running through when this episode aired. <laughs> it apparently does work, though, because we cut back, we get another scene with Lois. Wes here seems to be basically himself, and he's learning what all he's done, and he's, you know, he's upset. Lois is so somewhat upset that he volunteered for this. He's like, you think this is what I volunteered for? I was told this is a way for me to keep serving my country. You know, I think he was hit by an IUD, it says, not an IUD, an IED. IUD is very different. An IED. Uh, so apparently he was like wounded, probably severely wounded. And this was a way for him to continue his service. He didn't know he was going to be turned into a killing machine. So it allows him to continue to have a clean conscience on that, that end. But the reboot works. He's still fighting it. He tells Lois to run. Lois does run. And then he turns invisible to go after her. But because he has superpowers, she's dead instantly. Oh, no, wait. No, we cut to commercial. Okay. Yeah. So anything else in the third act here? No, the whole, the whole uh, IED injury is more kind of not visual uh, proof, but, but more circumstantial proof that we are talking about at least some level of cyborg mm. enhancements beyond just physical uh, or biological because the, you know, the implication of that is that like I lost a leg or I lost this or I lost that. We don't see any of that, obviously. Right. And maybe they're grown back. Who knows? Or maybe he just died. I don't know. Now that I'm sitting there, now I'm going to talk myself out of it because I'm thinking about that whole room full of bodies uh, at the very end. So maybe it's a more of a regrowth of uh, limbs or something. Has there been anybody that could regrow things like a salamander? 
I can't remember anybody right now who has regenerative powers, but probably like that's such a common it superpower. Is a common, it is a common It'd be superpower. weird that there's not someone with that, but I can't think of it right up now off the top of my head. So if we missed it, smallvillefancast at gmail.com, let me know. Whatever happened to that? Didn't he have didn't he have Clark's blood at one point in time? Did that get lost or stolen? It got destroyed. But yeah, he did have it. He didn't know whose it was. He didn't know it was his. And he didn't apparently do anything with it. But he had it for a while. Mm, maybe he grabbed it. Maybe he grabbed it from that blood. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Could be. Uh, they did call it the Lazarus Serum that they were making from it because it was bringing people back to life, uh, but not regenerating them. But maybe. So in our fourth act here, so Clark and Chloe continue to piece things together and Martha supplies the final information, allowing Clark to zoom off to find Lois. We then find Lois being choked by Wes. Clark arrives just in time to keep her alive and he and Wes fight, question mark? <laughs> Lois awakes as Wes lay dying, but he prefers it this way and asks Lois to make sure they never do this to anyone else. All right, I'll let you start here. What do you want to talk about here in the fourth act? I immediately chuckled when you when you put the question mark after the fight because it's really more just like <laughs> it's that's not what happens <laughs> and there's yeah. not really a fight. All right, so but let's go with the first. We'll go with the first scene uh, talking about uh, back at the farm where uh, Martha provides this last bit of information, which is that whole where he was stationed, where he lived, kind of thing. So again, beating a dead horse because that's what we like to do on this show. Uh, going back to why would you send West to to take care of this problem? You would think that with the level of detail oriented, I don't know, you you would think that somebody would have a said, oh, that's Lois that we have to kill, and then b, oh, they live together once. Like that seems like it shouldn't be that hard for the people in Lex's position to figure out, especially if we could figure it out. Right. Uh, I mean, granted, we're just jumping to conclusions, right? Um, but where where did they grow up? Oh, this one place. Okay, it's got to be that one place. Nowhere else. Let me go quickly to Fort Alveson. Alveson? Alveson. Yeah. Yeah. Alveson. I did look, because I, I thought, maybe, does that name mean something? I thought maybe there was an Alveson on staff, but I couldn't find a, a connection to that name. No. Yeah. So it's just like, and again, because it's because of that, the way that that feels, it, it, it lends a certain amount of, uh, unreality to that particular scene. It's another one of those scenes. So many that we've had that I've, that I took very little out of because it was like, yes, we have to have this because we have to have the conclusion jumping to get us to where we need to be to save everybody. Like you could see it coming the whole time, like going to our questions about jumping to conclusions. This, as this scene began, I'm like, all right, here it comes. Here it comes. There it is. It's it's maybe they just done it so much that it didn't have any kind of effect on me, or maybe it was again just kind of you've got the story, but you've done so much outside of the story that you're having to really truncate the story significantly. But either way, I I took so little out of this scene. What about yourself? I, I do want to mention he. I think this is where he tells, or Chloe shares that. Oliver and his team had fought other versions of these super soldiers, including one they found in a the Utah desert, uh, which is why he's model four. Wes is there's there's other ones, and it took a mini nuke to break through the force field. So this again, this seems like we're setting up for a super fight, right? Like mini nuke power mm -hmm. to get through the force field, but apparently 
During season six, there was a thing called Justice and Doom, which was an animated on-screen comic book that aired during the last six episodes. So if you watch this live on CW, there was this six episode comic book thing that you could follow. Apparently it was also included on the DVD and Blu-ray sets. I do not have season six, so I wasn't able to go back and watch this. But it breaks, it kind of talks about, like we get to see some of this through the comic book. And if you go online to Smallville Wikipedia, it tells you what each volume is. It includes the guy who founded Smallville, finding the Kawachi Caves, the Martian Manhunter. There's the first talk about Veritas Society in here with Lionel. It's a whole big thing, but apparently you would have gotten to see that at least in animated comic book, comic book form through the Legion and Doom on-screen comic book season six. So if anybody has that, it's probably on YouTube. I didn't look there, but uh, it's probably somewhere you could find it. Interesting. Some cross-pollination going on that uh, probably would work better nowadays with a little more social uh, media than back in 2007. It was sponsored by Toyota Yaris, by the way. Hmm. So we go to the base. Lois is still running from Wes. The super soldier, super speed, invisible assassin wasn't able to, to get Lois quickly, whatever. But he does manage to catch up to her eventually. He, he starts to strangle her. And we get, I'm going to call it semi-effective special effects as she's like clearly hanging by like wires on like a green screen. Doesn't snap her neck, Thanos Loki style. But Clark zooms in, catches her. She's not dead. She's just unconscious. So that's two for her this episode. And then we get our, again, we've been talking about the whole episode. We, we get our fight. Wes jumps in the rafters, turns invisible. It's stalking him predator style. Turns visible for no reason. Jumps at Clark with a knife and slow-mo <laughs> towards him. And Clark uses his heat vision, fights over. Yep, that's it. It is so anticlimactic. I mean, I'm thinking we need mini nuke level or he just didn't turn his force field on. That's why. You know, I mean, I, I wondered about this. Two things that went through my head um, at that moment. First, I wondered, did he make himself visible or were we supposed to assume that that was Clark finally using Ooh. some other power to see him? And then secondly, it seemed, you know, the slow motion and the heat heat vision. I kind of wondered if that was supposed to indicate that Clark actually had to expend quite a bit of heat vision energy. I mean, it doesn't do anything to Clark, but quite a bit of energy to get through that force field to get him, which makes more sense. But if that's the case, then obviously you had either some bad decisions on for the v, from the VF. VFX team, or you just had not enough money to make it actually seem like that's what's going on. I mean, I think like I would have done probably some kind of shattering effect to indicate that he broke through the shield, you know, Mm -hmm. if that's what they were trying to do. Cause you get a lot done with Foley work. That could have been some sound effects there and helps. Cause I love the version of the fight you're selling me. That is not the version that we bought. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. At the end of the day, what sucks is that for whatever reason, that's not what we get at all. Like what we get doesn't indicate clearly any of those things. And so it's like, it's almost like choose your own adventure, right? Like if you want to, if you want to believe that this is a top tier television show on HBO Max, then very clearly Clark used his powers to see Wes for the first time. And very clearly Clark used his heat vision 
and had to just burn a hole right through that. But at the same time, you know, you've got to buy into that yourself. Like you have to sell yourself on that. You can't just watch the video and say, oh, wow, that was badass. No, you have to actually convince yourself that what you saw was, was cool because otherwise what you saw was like, I don't know. I mean, it was, it was trash. (laughs) It wasn't good at all. And like, I don't want boys level of violence from this show. That's not what this show is, nor what I want from it. But Wes looks fine. Was there a gaping hole burned halfway through his chest? Was there some, because I even wonder what does Wes, or what does Lex think happen when he gets the body back later? Like he doesn't look, does he think he just passed out and won't wake up? His, his operating system was corrupted. Does he even know that he was physically defeated by something? Or does he just think that the system crashed? Like, yeah. It's so just poorly executed. It's frustrating. Uh, I think I think the poorly executed, I think goes to, and I could be wrong, but I think that they, in their heads, were like, okay, we've got to make sure that he beats him. How do we make sure that he beats him? And then they can't decide on a way. Like, do we do x-ray vision? I don't know. That's kind of dumb. Is it though? Like, like you know what I'm saying? It's almost like there's a writer's room block where they're just like, well, what are we going to do to make sure that it's clear that he that he beats him because he's got to beat him because he's Clark and this guy's Wes. Right. So he has to beat him. How do we, how do we do that and, and make it really effective? And, you know, at the end of the day, it just all kind of falls apart because it's bad, bad F- SFX in that particular moment. And then bad, you know, reasoning, I think on, on the, on the part of the uh, writing team, that they didn't make it more clear in one way or another that we were either we were either seeing Clark finally use his powers or there was some issue with Wes that made it to where he would do this. Like what like is he like so proud of himself that he's gonna show himself at the last second? Like but he's not. I mean he's a he's a robot. So it's very odd. Like it seems like a personal choice to become visible and yet you're given the impression that he has no personal choices to make. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, okay, that doesn't make any sense. So ultimately it just kind of all falls apart at the end, but you know, it was still fun. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I Again, I do think it's a fun episode, but it could have been so much better. Maybe that's my frustration is how much better this episode could have been with just a little bit of extra work or more money. Frankly, maybe like I said, maybe it's money and they just didn't have it. Yeah. Like, okay. Well, we, we don't have the budget for the big fight. It's gotta be something simple. Okay. Let's just do this done. You know, it, it, it's just, it is what it is. They didn't have a hundred million dollars for the season. They probably had $10 million if that. And I think you're right. I think they were trying to make it emotionally impactful with Lois. And I don't think that they had enough time to do that. Like they needed to rewrite a big chunk of that first half to emphasize this relationship because we never got, we never got what the relationship was until she was actually abducted and about to be killed. Like we knew that they grew up together, but we didn't know anything else. So it's like, oh, we're going to give you a mystery and then we're going to make it impactful. I don't think it works that way. I think you've got to not, it's not a mystery at all. You've got to make it impactful from the beginning and show that these people cared about each other significantly and why before you have any chance of getting an impactful ending out of that. Because when he's just like, it's better this way. In my head, I'm sitting there thinking that's the writer saying it's better if he dies because we don't want to have to figure out how to bring him back. Right. Yeah. Episode. We don't, we, we're not going to bring him back another episode. So he's got to be dead. Yeah. So, uh, but, oh well. So, yeah. But Lois, so she does wake up and I just wonder, what does she think happened? Like she was being choked to death. She wakes up and 
that they because there's a little bit of effect. You can see like a sort of a sizzle, like heat mm. smoke coming off of his chest. What does she think happened? Did he just overheat? Yeah. His operating system meltdown? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, in the moment, sure, she doesn't care because she's emotional about Wes. But when she's telling this story later, like, I don't know. Uh, but so we do get the big hero moment where Wes is like, that goes to your whole point about, well, not your point, but the that goes to the uh, the senator's point about, well, who's going to believe somebody from the Inquisitor anyway? <laughs> <laughs> it's like. True. Uh, okay. Go on. Sorry. I interrupted yeah, you. yeah, no. So she, she cries over Wes. Wes says it's better this way, but don't let them do this to anyone else. And I think this is Lois's, like she's already kind of had her origin story about becoming a reporter and that. But I think this might be sort of like a defining moment where she decides to really pursue justice through investigative reporting and maybe sets her on her path to become the world famous reporter that she is uh, and specifically focuses on Lex based reporting. Like she's like, I'm never going to let Lex get away with this and, and focus on it. I don't know for sure, but I felt that was what we were supposed to take away from this. I agree. And I think once we get into the fifth act, um, that we'll get to the scene that really cements that that's what's going on. All right. Well, let's do that. If you don't mind, read that fifth act summary, please. Martha continues to climb the political ladder with Lionel's aid, but Clark thinks it's for the best. Lex tells Lana no more secrets, but they are both still keeping secrets. <laughs> Lois was unable to convince the feds that Lex was involved with anything suspicious. And for Lex, Wes was just the beginning. So we start at the Kent farm and Clark is reviewing Wes's file. I did freeze frame and try to look. It's almost all blank. Maybe that's because it's supposed to be classified, but it just looks like they didn't fill it out. And what is filled out is just nonsense information. It's like a birth date, like a date, but it doesn't really, I think it might be like his service date because it didn't make sense for a birth date. But I didn't see anything on it that was interesting enough to bring up. Uh, but I did think it was interesting enough to bring up. I didn't find anything that was interesting. So joke's on me. Yep. So Clark says something about we at least sinister, sinister, senator, man, the Freudian slips are coming out hard and fast today. Ah, another one. <laughs> so Senator Burke is gone. Uh, and much like he's far from the only corrupt politician, wherever there's power, there'll be men like Lex to exploit it. You know, maybe you can do something. He's like, I don't have that level of influence. And I do like, there's actually a sound effect. We can hear the door opening before Lionel walks in, like mm. that classic screen door, stretchy, springy sort of thing opens yeah. up. I love those old screen doors. As Lionel walks in and then he's like, maybe it's time to expand your influence. I just got off the phone with the governor. Why don't you fill in and be the U.S. Senator uh, while we're waiting for the next uh, election? And they'll give I love Martha. I think Martha's amazing. But I do find it funny that she's now been given two senatorial positions. Like she got her Congress seat because Jonathan died. And now she's moving to the U.S. Senate because someone else died. People are going to start asking questions about how she's getting in power. Like it looks like she's the mastermind. Maybe she is. Maybe she is. <laughs> I, I, I liked this. It was a very, it was a very short little scene. I think what I liked about it was this kind of dynamic between Lionel and Clark. I really... That was probably, in some ways, the best part about this whole episode is the two times that they talk to each other because there's some really delightful undertones that are just kind of flowing through that undertones of violence <laughs> that are flowing through those conversations. But I think what was interesting is that it's not, it's Clark that kind of makes the final decision, which it, it, 
I don't know that he makes the final decision, but at the same time, you kind of get the impression that Martha's not going to do it until he says, mm-hmm. right. yeah, I think you should do it. You know, you almost, I almost expected uh, some kind of sarcastic remark from him to Lionel to the effect of, well, I don't agree with you about anything, but I agree with you about this, you know, something mm-hmm. to that effect. Um, and they, they decided not, they pulled away from the jokes at that point in time. And they delivered this like really kind of heartfelt, I think you should do it, mom. You know, I thought that was pretty impressive. Uh, and then, of course, they undercut that by Lionel talking about um, taking care of the back 40. <laughs> yeah. well, you can take care of that, that was, can't you, Clark? <laughs> yeah, well, he says, Absolutely. you can take care of the farm. And then Clark says he can lease out the back 40 to Ben Hubbard. Yeah. So that name actually, in the original Superman, the movie, Clark name drops Ben Hubbard as the person that is going to help on the farm now that he is leaving. Because in Superman the movie, after his dad dies, that's when, not immediately, but that's when Clark leaves the farm. So Martha's basically left to run the farm herself in Superman the movie, and Ben Ben Hubbard is name-dropped. So to me, that's that connection to the wider Superman mythos, is name-dropping Ben Hubbard here. Yeah, it's a good one, too. It's a nice little uh, little wink and a nod, right? Oh, we we missed a visual uh, wink and a nod in uh, the fourth act during the, the big fight question mark he's got this red jacket on and there's a couple of shots or scenes where it really is kind of cape-like oh the way the collar comes up on it i just moved my collar so you can see me but you can't because this is radio but also because i don't have a uh, screen so even though i not only can the audience not see you (laughs) i can't even see you nobody can see me (laughs) you have uh, graham garrett's power you're fading away (laughs) that's right (laughs) But but I just want to point you like you like this is Clark's almost like you know his beacon of hope sort of moment. Yes. You and Dad always taught me to put other people first, to use my abilities to help those in need. You have the chance to affect so many people, to change so many lives if you go to Washington. It's where you need to be if you really want to make a difference, Mom. And it's where people like Wes need you to be. I also think they try to play this straight because this is ultimately Annette O'Toole's send-off. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if she's in the last episode. I haven't watched the last episode yet for this rewatch, but I know that she basically is no longer a regular after the season. So she moves to Washington. She does come back uh, for a few special guest appearances in the future, but this is basically it for her. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I, ultimately, I just, I, I do like it. And I think, also to what you said about this um, kind of red, white, and blue version of, of Superman. Oh, excuse me. Didn't, I'm not supposed to say that word. Of Clark uh, coming through uh, right here at the end. I think it's also reflective of what you said about Lois in terms of origin story. Like these are not, these are not the origins of either one of them, but they are like moments where you get to see uh, some crystallization of some of the things that have influenced them and and it's more of a it's more of a a defining moment for lois i believe but even i think for clark there's some crystallization that's going on in this little small scene that's pretty important to the character growth generally Uh, here's clark being completely unselfish even to the potential advantage of lionel because i also thought that was funny because martha just says Wherever there's power, there'll be men like Lex to exploit it. And then immediately Lionel helps her get a more powerful position in the government. Should we be reading into that? 
only from the only from the standpoint of irony. <laughs> now, yes. I, I mean, I, I think that there's something to it, but I think again, I suspect that it's kind of what you were saying about why they play it so so straight. I think that they're trying to say yes, we acknowledge that that this is yeah, there's something to this. Obviously, there's something to this because the person that's putting you in this position is somebody that we know we can't trust. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you're being offered this position to do everything that you've taught other people to do in terms of the greater good and and working for people and stuff like that. And so there's really, I think it's, it's, that's why they play it so straight is that yes, we acknowledge that this is probably a bad idea on some level, but on the other hand, this is in fact um, probably the best thing that you can do at this moment with your set of skills. She would be kind of hypocritical to not take it. Yeah. Based on like Clark saying, like she could do good in the, that position. And Jonathan has passed away. Yeah. Obviously tragic, sad. Do we really need to keep the farm going at this point? I mean, Martha now has a job as a, as a congressman, now a U.S. senator. She's going to make enough money that she doesn't need the income from the farm. So other than the sentimental value of this being our family farm, does it need to continue as a farm? Could they just like turn it into like a, just a house that has like a few chickens and cows. I've always wondered about that myself within kind of like just the greater mythos. Like why is it always a big deal that this farm continued to be a farm? When it was their livelihood, like when Jonathan was around, that was their, yeah. li- like they didn't have a home if that farm failed because they were constantly in, in debt, but that's not the case anymore. No, I, I, but I suspect that to some, to some degree, what you're really looking at is this idea. Well, to, to go to your, uh, podcast name you know farm to fable like we're talking about this fable of the american dream of a farm and chickens and kids and doing what's right no matter what and so i think that to a large extent the idea that we have to keep the farm is kind of we have to maintain the american way of life we have to continue to be the people that we've always been we can't can't be corrupted like those nasty Luthers. That's right. You know, I don't know that I buy that, but I think that that's probably a mythos issue that you're going back to like, you know, what, however many years of, of Superman comics we have at this point in time and all the movies and everything else. I mean, even Zack Snyder saved the farm. (laughs) If anybody was going to destroy the farm, it'd be Zack Snyder, but even Zack Snyder saved the farm. So, I mean, so I did look it up. So, uh, so Martha Kent is in the next episode, season six, episode 22. And then after that, she's just in for a few episodes as guest appearances. I won't spoil which ones in case anybody is not yet sure. Uh, but yeah, she's only in a few more episodes after next episode. All right. So after that, we go to the mansion. Uh, so Lex is on the phone. He says, I don't care what it takes. I want the body transported to the lab. This is where Lana comes in. And basically, Lex is just over her crap. And he's like, oh, yeah, he was the center of that, that conversation you overheard about the secret government project. And Lana sort of like tries to play it coy. She's like, my curiosity got the best of me. You're not a cat, Lana. Don't skulk around like one. He's so angry. This is not the Lex that we have seen in relation to Lana in quite a while. Every time I've opened up my heart to anyone, it's gone bad. And if you betrayed me, I don't know what I would do. And this is very much an inverse of our same type of conversation we had 
just maybe last episode, last couple episodes where Lana was sort of like double entendre saying that if, if anyone had ever hurt me that way, I would, they would lose my love forever. And she was absolutely telling Lex, you have lost my love forever. And now it's this, this sort of Lex's version of that same conversation, which I think is very fun. And when she says, I'd never hurt the man I love, which again, this is, this is intentional poor communication because she means Clark, yeah. Yeah. not Lex. And I kind of <laughs> wish Lex hadn't smiled here because I kind of wanted Lex to know that. And maybe he does. Maybe that's why he smiles because he does know. But it comes across as Lex still believes her. And I just don't feel like he should at this point. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. There's the whole, that whole, this whole scene is so sinister that I think you could probably, at least I wouldn't blame you for interpreting the smile as a sinister smile um, as well. I didn't go either way with it, which of course is part of the glory of uh, Michael Rosenbaum's ability to act because he does that. He does that gray area so well, although I do love the sinister in this. So the, uh, my curiosity got the best of me. You're not a cat, Lana. So that was a, uh, direct reference to curiosity killing the cat right yes mm. and that was like when he said that i was like oh <laughs> like he's playing he's not playing anymore like this is this is for real lana you better watch what you're doing because lex is lex is out for blood and it doesn't matter whose it is it might be yours it might be yours yeah at this point but yeah no i thought it was a good good little scene um not really too much to say about it other than what i've just said but i, I liked it no secrets, no secrets. No Except secrets. Both All the secrets. Plenty of secrets. All yes. the secrets. <laughs> so I, I guess the the takeaway here, the PSA, is if everyone ever tells you no more secrets, they are still keeping secrets. That's true. You don't have to say no more secrets. You just have to say the truth. <laughs> yeah, say the truth, not the statement no more secrets. So I don't know if this is a universal truth or not, but I would I'd say like 80%. If someone tells you no more secrets, they are still keeping secrets from you. Yeah, there's some there's some verbal cues that you can kind of key on, like uh, that's one of them, or anybody that says I like I swear I swear on my kids' names or something like that. Like unless they normally swear on their kids' names, they're so lying to you. They're not they're not they're not actually telling you the truth at that point. They just want you so badly to believe it that they're going to swear on their names of the kids and stuff. Anyway, there's a there's a whole bunch of stuff like that, but it, we'll 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 save that for another episode of Big Al and Michael talk about relationships exactly so we go to the daily planet i do like chloe's line about mrs kent goes to washington you know if anyone can give jimmy stewart a run for his money of course referencing the jimmy stewart movie um mr smith goes to washington at least clark says well you know i wish it wasn't lionel that wasn't you know it was not the one that was helping her but you know it is what it is we get some light some I don't know if this is like an attempt to try to have like Josh Whedon style Buffy language because I think these were contemporaries because Chloe says Lex is more dark side than ever. And Clark says, I want Lana away from him before the lights go out. That does not sound like a Clark line to me like that. That feels overwritten to me. I'm generally going to agree with you, but I will say that it goes well with the intensity of uh, the chemistry and the conversation between the two of them at the mansion. Like it's, it's interesting. And we talked about how we probably should change the thirst moment to a yes, because yeah. of that particular moment. Like this is, I uh, love this woman with all of my being and I'm going to destroy this man. If he, 
<laughs> and she needs to be away from him before that happens. I mean, that's this is very much the same level of intensity as uh, it's a reflection, really, also of the last conversation we just got, right? The conversation between Lana and Lex. It's that same level of intensity, but it's Clark uh, demonstrating it. And I think that that's that makes it uh, that that makes it kind of worthwhile, I think, in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. or at least interesting to me. So it turns out Buffy actually ended in 2003. So they they were contemporaries, but Buffy's over at this point. Sorry. Oh, but you've got Angel. True. Because Angel went on till about 2007, I think. No, 2004 or five. But Chloe is like, well, Lex will be in jail as soon as Lois convinces the feds that he was really, and she doesn't even get through this convoluted explanation before Lois is there like, nope, Wes's body's gone. Feds don't believe me because I work at the Inquisitor. They think he died four months ago, just like his file says. And she says, don't be sorry for me, be sorry for Lex. I'm going to make sure, damn sure he doesn't do this to anyone else. So, so well delivered. And I think what kind of what you said, not only is this sort of her origin story, her, you know, true instigation into becoming a, a, a reporter, I think this is also why she needs to leave the Inquisitor. She's learned that that's holding her back because yeah. even when she knows the truth, people aren't going to listen. Yeah. And she really delivers that line fantastically. I mean, that's one of those crystallizing moments, like you're saying, this defining moment for her but like when she delivers that you just you just know okay we're not we're not messing around lois isn't messing around anymore either this is lois now this is lois lane so uh be be ready for it because it's coming that's right but again how much of that is just trying to project to the future and it doesn't have much to do with this with this particular episode anyway um but yeah she 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 delivers that line really well i i like that quite a bit so i liked it as well and then we have one final scene at the dam. They have Wes's body, but he's just one of many. We, we get the, like the flicking of the light and then just body after body after body after body. Uh, stacked, I don't know what's holding them up. It seemed like impossible, but whatever. But they don't have any more alien peptides, so they can't do any more tests. And Lex is like, don't worry about it. I'm already working on a new source. So I assume we were supposed to think, oh, that means Clark. But um, not necessarily, as we will get into in our final episode. So the last scene obviously very quick there, but anything else you want to say about that? Or if not, just roll into your final thoughts on the episode. I uh, don't really have anything else I want to say about the last one. I mean, the last scene, I think it's pretty, you, you hit all the, all the spots. So, so you s- seem to like this episode. You know, you start off saying that you did enjoy it. How would you feel if I told you that this is the lowest rated episode of every episode of Smallville? I would not be surprised at all for all the reasons that we talked about. <laughs> I, I did enjoy this episode. I really did. But it's like I said, I really think that they're trying to do two different things and they're not, they're not putting those two things together very well. And that's preparing for future episodes and also telling this story. I think that what you end up with is kind of a garbled mess. So I don't even know that I could tell you why I like it. Uh, but I do like it on a whole. I think in part I like it because I really like the characterization of Lois in this episode. It's probably the biggest reason I like it. Like that last line that she delivers about be sorry for Lex, I think really ties everything together. The best that it can be tied together. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like like we've said over and over again, none of this really makes much sense. But But she ties it together in a way that I think at least accentuates that. And then on the flip side, 
I also like where Clark's characterization ended up, even though it's all over the place because you have this red, white, and blue Clark that's like, Mom, you need to go to Washington. That was fantastic, right? That's Superman all the way. And then you've got passionate, I'm going to kill Lex Clark. <laughs> that's saying like, Lana better be far away from him yep. where the lights go out. So like, it's a little bit of both, but you know, and that may go back. That may actually uh, just to uh, spoil to the next part of their our ending here, but that may go to your man versus Superman thesis very well. Um, those two particular uh, reactions and iterations. Um, but generally speaking, I mean, I like the I like the episode. I enjoyed it. It's total trash. <laughs> so I misspoke. It is not the worst rated in the series. Uh, I, I was mistaken there. I, I'm off my game today. It is not a well rated episode, but it is nowhere near the lowest rate either. What's the lowest out of curiosity? So it looks like, from what I could tell, it is um, the one where Pete comes back in season seven and is a superhero f- with stretchy powers and in a stride gum commercial product placement. It's so bad. It sounds so horrible. Yeah, it, is, it is not good. You should do that one with me. Let's do it. Yeah. Sign me up for next season. I want to do it. I want Pete to return and become stretchy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if my, I didn't hate this episode. I don't particularly love it. I, for me, my, my displeasure is mostly on the wasted potential. It's got some really good elements. You have Lois's connection to this person, which is sort of like the lever that the episode hinges on or, or, or that turns on. Um, you have La- or Martha getting this new senatorial seat. You get Lex fed up with Lana's crap. You get Clark and Lana getting even closer. And we had the potential for a really cool super fight between Clark and this super powered person who has multiple powers. And it just kept dropping the ball. It's like, here's mm. here's a silver platter, drop the ball. Silver platter, drop the ball. A couple of them, they didn't. The stuff with Lois works pretty well. The stuff with Martha, I think, works really well. I think the Lana Clark stuff works really, really well, actually. But I think the super fight just let me down so much that it just brought the... Like if, if they had had money they don't have and mm-hmm. they had made that super fight mm-hmm. just awesome, this might be like a top tenner. Well, and I think that kind of goes, what you're saying goes to why I was so positive about the cold open being effective mm-hmm. because the cold open really creates a sense of, oh, this, this is going to be a badass episode. Yep. This guy is going to be awesome. And then, like you said, every time they get an opportunity, like there goes a ball, there goes a ball, <laughs> there goes a ball, <laughs> just dropping balls left and right. Kansas city chiefs all over again. Yep. Ouch. <laughs> so you already touched on it, but Man vs. Superman, again, everybody's been here for a while knows we like to look at these episodes through that lens that Clark wants to be the all-American boy who just dates the girl next door, eats apple pie, plays football, but he can't because he has the destiny to become Superman because of his, in part, his Kryptonian heritage. Uh, so with that in mind, is what about this episode sticks out to you? Is Has it framed anything that just seems relevant to that conversation through that lens? Um, you know, I think what's interesting is if we're if we're looking at it strictly from that lens, and this is this is just my interpretation, obviously, but I get the impression if I'm looking at it as a man versus Superman, that what you're seeing a little bit in this episode is the Superman overtaking the man and the man struggling to retain some portion of the narrative. And I say that because 
Well, because of the last couple of scenes, because it's very Superman-ish, the way that he handles the idea of Martha going to Washington. It's mm-hmm. like the most Superman-ish I think I've ever seen him on the on the show, so to speak, um, or up to this point. Um, and then the reaction uh, to Lana's situation is the most man-ish <laughs> that he's that he's been too. But it almost feels like uh too little too late right or maybe too much too late and so that's why i'm saying that i think that if you're looking at it as a man versus superman thesis that this is an episode that is pushing it further uh, pushing the story further into superman um territory and out of the man aspects of it um at least so much as the man is a boy maybe the man is a man is different and there's you could talk about that as a being a man versus being a boy mm. but the love that Clark has for Lana is a very boyish love, very uh, obsessive and very um, not bad per se, but it's, it's all encompassing, but not in a uh, positive way necessarily. It's just all encompassing. And so, um, you know, whatever he develops eventually for Lois is going to have layers to it and nuances to it that are not really existent with, with Lana. And you see that with his, with his stance in that last scene, whenever he talks about going pitch black and it's such a not Clark thing to say, well, maybe it's not, it's not, it's a not Superman thing to say, but maybe it's very much a boy Clark thing to say. I mean, it very much uh, fits with the idea of a boy that's mad that somebody has taken his toy. And I think that that boy is being subsumed by Superman at this point in time in the overall narrative and I think that that's kind of where we're at time-wise, but also in, in how this particular episode frames itself. Yeah, I don't, again, don't disagree with anything in particular that you said. Uh, I do think, I agree with you that the way he handles the Martha situation is very Superman-ish, you know, most good for the most people, self-sacrifice. He doesn't want his mom to leave, you know, but he knows that she can do a lot of good there. So it felt very like self-sacrificing, which is like a Superman sort of thing. But his connection to Lana is still very much in the man realm, as, as, as we are calling it for the purposes of this question. So I think that's the conflict. But to me, the more interesting question about that this episode is the West character, that you had a, effectively a Superman-style character with superpowers and super mm-hmm. abilities, and what brought them down? Human connection. Mm-hmm. It was this human connection with Lois, which truly, I mean, the heat blast of the chest helped. But ultimately, it was Lois's trying to bring him back to Earth is sort of what led to those cracks and fissures in the first place. And I think we can read into that that Clark has to find a way to navigate both or he's going to be stuck here in this middle. And he's, eventually those, those human connections are going to be his downfall rather than what kind of builds him up. So I, I like to think that was an intentional thing that the writers put in, but I may be giving them more credit than they deserve. I don't know. Well, to the degree that it may be intentional, it really coincides with a lot of what I said, um, because that whole reaction that we have from Clark uh, with with Lana being with Lex and everything else is uh, it is a weakness. You know, it's not a strength. Um, it's a weakness because it it goes to a, a place where he is vulnerable, and not in a good way. Like you can be vulnerable in a good way, I think. But I think that with Lana. We've we've passed any any place where this relationship can be vulnerable in a good way. Instead, we've reached an area where, with all the 
secrets and lies and everything else that we're all we're all just on the cusp of uh, of disaster really um, particularly the more we focus on the relationship aspects or the emotional aspects of it so i think that what you say goes very very much hand in hand with what i was saying so i like that and as always, because we'll, we didn't really have a lot of call to actions this week, so smallvillefancast at gmail.com if you have any thoughts on Man versus Superman in this episode. All right, so all that brings us to your Pass the Torch question. What would you like me to ask next week's co-host? If you had the opportunity to become a super soldier for your government, but you would lose your free will, would you do it? So this is the point of the show where you get to plug anything that you're a part of, anything that if, if it's not something you were a part of, if you don't have anything, but you want to just throw some love at another project that you enjoy, now's the time. Where can people find you if they want to interact with you? Where would you send them? Uh, right. So um, Big Al, Nicholas, signing off. I would say I'm on Twitter, but Twitter doesn't exist anymore. So I'm on X at Big Al the Lawyer. Uh, otherwise, probably the easiest way to reach me if you really want to would be to ask Michael because I used to be very, very active on his discord and I'm still very good friends with him. And so he can get a hold of me and maybe one day I'll be very active again. We can hope because yes, we can hope um, because the RPG Academy is a fantastic, fantastic thing. Um, entity. Um, the, the catacomb that you put on every year is magnificent. Uh, wish I'd have gone this year. Uh, it's funny. Um, I didn't have the money was kind of the biggest reason, but on top of that, um, what's funny is that last year I was, I had tickets and everything and it was all going to depend on whether or not my daughter's volleyball team won or lost their first game and they won their first game. So it's like, oh shit. So, uh, so this year it's a better team. And we're like, like we're talking about, Hey, we could get to state with this team. This is a good team. Right lost the first game. So I totally could have gone <laughs> minus the money situation. Yeah. Well, and again, I don't ever want to put hardship on you because I get there's a lot of inc uh, incidental charges and stuff with traveling and taking off work. But if there's anything I could do in our cell, like we'll put you up in one of our hotel rooms. You don't have to buy a badge if you just want to show up. Like we will take off all the costs that we can on our side. Trips, airfare is still going to be on you. But if, if that will be a <laughs> decision maker for you, let me know. Well, I, I plan on being there next year. So um, I think that I don't see anything that would get in the way of it, to be honest. So I'm looking forward to it. So that's my plug. My plug is for the RPG Academy and Catacon. So I need to check that out. Well, I will roll in and say, yes, you can find the RPG Academy as well as Farm to Fable. Uh, we're on Blue Sky. I have accounts for both. Facebook is probably the best way because I just post things there when there's like new episodes. I don't do a lot of spam junkie stuff. So it's pretty easy to ignore if you want to, but get the stuff that you want when you're there. You can support the show financially if you're interested by going to the RPG Academy's Patreon. You can basically do a monthly donation. I think at $3 a month is the lowest, but you can actually do anything you want. You could do a dollar if you wanted to. There is a special level just for Farm to Fable if you're interested. Join our Discord. It's a ton of fun. I'd love to get more people there talking about Farm to Fable stuff. It's mostly RPG and Acaticon stuff, but certainly would love that. And yeah, can't wait to have you back for Season 4 uh, Stretchy Guy Power episode, uh, Al. But just for everyone else, remember to stay after the end credits for the scoreboard. Farm to Fable is a Smallville rewatch fan cast and is not officially affiliated with DC Comics, Warner Brothers Television, the CW Network, or any other owners of Smallville and or its related source materials. 
As such, these companies retain sole ownership of all symbols, images, names, logos, and other proprietary material related to Smallville. Our use of logos, images, names, likenesses, and sound clips are being used under the Fair Use Guidelines. Our logo was created by Michael Waldschlager II. You can find Michael on Twitter at LoserMLW. Farm to Fable is written, edited, and produced by me, Michael Ross, with additional input by weekly co-hosts as credited in each episode's show notes. And now, let's check the scoreboard. Total number of times a vehicle has been crashed or destroyed. We are counting one this episode when Wes throws one of the Senator Burke's guard, Secret Service people, whatever, into the back of that car, smashing out the windshield. We're counting that, so that puts us at 101. So the total number of times someone's been unconscious, we've added two this week. So we're at 372 and two asterisks. The first asterisk is for all the criminals Clark knocked unconscious while patrolling Metropolis after the wedding. And then asterisk two is for all the people in West's security retinue that he knocked out two separate prototype attempts on the base. Lois was kidnapped by Wes and went unconscious, and later she was choked by Wes. So looking at our main cast, Lon has been knocked unconscious 39 times. Lex is at 38. Clark is at 28. Chloe is at 21. Lois is now at 16. Martha, 13. Lionel Luther, 6. Jimmy Olsen, 1. And Oliver Queen, just the once. Total number of times someone goes to the hospital. I will assume Lois went, but we're not counting it because we didn't see it. So we are still at 132. So looking at the main cast, Lana has been to the hospital 18 times. Chloe, 9. Lex Luther, 9. Lionel, 6. Lois, 5. Clark, 4. And Jimmy Olsen now just the once. And the total number of times Clark tells or shows someone other than his forever crush Lana or the destiny of his life, Lois Lane, his powers and abilities, we're now at 155 with three asterisks for everyone in Smallville, everyone in Metropolis, the U.S. Army, and, of course, Santa Claus. <laughs>